One of the very rich things about life is the friendships you make. You start out with a lot of acquaintances, and then through your life you make really deep friendships, hopefully. Emerson, the poet, said it's one of the blessings of old friends that you can afford to be stupid with them. I think that's true. Old friends don't only know the real you, they prefer it. This episode's about old friends and new, about the memories and the music you make with them. We're going to hear from some old friends of mine and some new friends that I've made, all musicians, along with a reading from a scene from a play from our local Baker Theater and um, a special event that's happening this week. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is 78644. Hallie and Finley here in the studio today. It's really good to see you. Thanks for coming by and, and doing this. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having us. I just want to take a minute to um, have you talk a little bit about how you got started. You're from a musical family here in Texas, and uh, a lot of people that uh, may not be familiar with with Texas music or that part of Texas music may not know that. So talk a little bit about your origins, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, um, I, I grew up in San Marcos, Texas. Um, we had a house on the river in Martindale, there's not a school there that you can attend, so I spent a lot of my time in town, the big city, and my dad uh, was a songwriter and mentor to a lot of other songwriters. Kind of turned me on to the kind of music that I love today. Um, he ran Cheatham Street Warehouse, which is known for a listening stage, um, also with a little bit of college honky-tonk flair. I started kind of grasping on to these musicians like Terry Hendricks and Slade Cleves, who was, you know, half babysitting and half writing a song with dad. And growing up saying, you know, those are the heroes that I want to be someday. And I'm still trying to work on that. Growing up, I started to uh, get to open up for people like Monty Montgomery and the Morales sisters and just a, an array. I mean, my, my catalog of concerts that I've attended, I can't, I can't tell you the first one I went to because it was just part of the deal. I do know that um, I really liked Jewel growing up. That was the person, my first guitar was a blue guitar. I'd hide in my room and my dad would try to teach me and I'd say, no, I got this. And then all of a sudden my mom handed me this Casey Chambers CD and shoes from Australia. And I thought everything she was doing was so Americana cool. And I wanted that. So I started developing you know, my own band and my brother played bass for me for a long time and I'm going to college and I get my first gig at the Carousel Lounge in North Austin and then I finally get to play at um, Hills Cafe, which has been torn down and one really historical venue that we've lost. And then I got the courage to call uh, our friend David Cotton and pitched my music to uh, get to start playing at the Saxon Pub, which was my go-to gig for a really long time. And I really felt like I'd made it to the next level when I was getting to play Monday nights at midnight or, you know, then Wednesday nights after Walt Wilkins and then Mondays right after Bob Schneider and Thursdays right before Dead Man. And that was 12 years ago. I really fell in love with Lockhart, Lupin Lels. I just really wanted to go the first time because it was namesake of a Towns Van Zandt song, um, his parakeets. And... I would ride my bike from Martindale to Lupinlils, which is about 11 miles. And then Dustin would be, my husband, Dustin Welch, would be recording over here at this studio with you, and I would get a ride back. So I earned my 11 miles to get here, and I finally said, you know what? I'm tired of the bicycle commute. The community that I discovered here has just been 
just the most home that I've felt in a really long time. So we decided to move here in 2020. The pandemic in March meant, you know, it was kind of like everybody that was real cool was staying home. So I'm just now getting to know some people in town that um, are just great influences in the music community. And it's not surrounded by college kids and it's not overrun by high-rise developments. Thank the good Lord so far. And so it's just gotten to be really cool right now. You know, I'm finally like, uh, I'm at home at this restaurant where I get to pretend to be a waitress, load off fannies, and I love my job there, but I'm getting so busy playing music and it's great. They asked me to start hosting the um, open mic at Arts and Crafts. And um, I I don't know how, but for some reason, the newspaper released their uh, reader's poll and I got best musician of 2022. What's your writing process like? Because I've, I've worked with Dustin and we kind of, we've kind of thrown curveballs at each other with the writing process. Well, I really, first I sit down and I open up my notebook. And it seems like the songs that I get out, such as uh, Balmeray, which we'll play later, um, that's a sit down in one sitting and get it done kind of song. And that's been kind of my approach. It's like, if it's good and I can get through writing it. And usually these songs are all based on experience, a lot of true stories, a lot of broken hearts. Um, And I just try to get in the movement and get it done. The people that I co-write with, it's pretty limited. I know Dustin and I have different processes, definitely. And I am so proud of what he does. And I always ask him first about my songs. And he's really a good person to bounce the ball back and forth on. So talk to me a little bit about this song, uh, Bomberay. You said it's one that was just kind of written in one sitting kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if this should be on the record or not, but there's this Amy Winehouse song called Valerie a long time ago. And everybody listening to this very exclusive podcast is going to know that I owe Amy Winehouse for my Balmeray because I thought she was saying Balmeray. West Texas is a really important aspect of my childhood and my father's life. He embodied Trilingua, Chili Cookoffs. He was also a huge fan of Hondo Crouch and Lukenbach. And so for me in my adult life, I um, got to go to Big Bend National Park with a geography class. And my study was writing about the desert, and I got some college credit for that. Thank you so much to my professor, Susan Hansen, and Dr. Peterson, who took us out there. We had a great time. It was such an amazing experience. And I had never, ever known about Balmeray State Park, which is the most beautiful, like, ray of sunshine, body of water when you leave the desert. It's so magical there. There are literally tadpoles that will, like, nibble on your feet. And it's the bluest, bluest water. It's probably the best body of water in Texas, if you ask me. And I'm a San Marcos River girl. Girl, I can't tell you hurting. There ain't nothing I could say. I'd drive you to West Texas, to that pool in Balmeray. We'll go swimming with the fish and watch the children jump and play. Let me take you out to Balmeray, Balmeray. 
I want to just thank you again for taking time to come in and do it. I know you're busy, and um, and I know you guys are are got a lot going on. But I, I'm I'm just thanks for coming into the studio and doing and playing this song. It's a lovely song too, by the way. Hey, it's my pleasure, and we're really glad that you're doing this. You and Kate are just taking the music world in Lockhart to the next level. Oh, and thank so you. We can't wait to see you playing again, and you know. Hopefully for everybody that's listening out there, when you come to the Lockhart Barbecue, capital of the world, Texas, make sure that you check out, you know, some of our local venues too, because they're really, they're really something. A couple of years ago, I guess 2017, 18, uh, my friend Scott Davis and I started a, a folk project. Scotty is an old friend of mine, old, old musical companion too. When, when I first came down to Lockhart, which is like 15 years ago, there, it was a very quiet little place and actually had got the house and was it was totally empty and Scott went in there and stayed the first night by, by himself. I remember that. And I was like, is it, is it haunted? <laughs> You're like, no, I don't think so anyway. Uh, Scott, thanks for coming down. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Do you want to talk a little bit about your memories of those days when we first got to Lockhart? Sure. Man, it was, we, we just got back from having lunch on the square just now and uh, commented to you on the way back to the house, how much things have changed around here. Yeah, 15 years ago, there was nothing going on. I mean, the square was probably more empty buildings than, than occupied. And there, were, there were a couple of restaurants, uh, and there were, uh, there were two bars, I remember. There was uh, Lily's, which had tinfoil on the windows, uh, really good cheeseburgers, and cheap Lone Star and nothing but Tejano on the jukebox, and it was awesome. And there was one other bar, and I can't remember the name of it. I do, I do remember the bartender there because I, uh, I did put her into a song. She was, uh, she was really, really grumpy. I don't think she liked anybody. <laughs> she certainly didn't like us. No. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, you know, there was there was nothing else going on out here and there was nobody else here. So I remember I was like, well, maybe I can talk her into liking me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We just was, got to tell that was our and option. Ne- that never came to be. Um, the woman I ended up dating and then marrying when I did live out here, she used to call this place the land of no consequence because you could literally do anything and nobody would notice. There were a bunch of abandoned old houses. People were just starting to fix up these places like yours, I think. But it was, it was quiet, you know. I, I was touring a lot at the time, and so coming home was nice because I didn't. I, there, there was nothing to distract me or bother me. You had the studio downstairs and a balcony upstairs, and I read a lot of books. Probably drank way too much. Yeah, I was like the. I used to call it the pirate ship. Yes, yeah that that's a good good thing to call it. I mean. When Stephen first moved into this house, the downstairs looked like a brothel. Uh, just dark red paint on the walls and velvet couch, and velvet tapestries and little like candle wall sconces. And looked like you were in the French Quarter in, you know, 1920. And it was, you know, it was home. We loved it. It certainly inspired a lot of, uh, a lot of good music to be made. Yeah, um, I remember um, you would go on the road and I would be working on something. If I was working on something either for a client or myself, I remember like you would come through the front door. I'm like, hey, man, can you put something on this? <laughs> and you would be like, yeah, no problem. And you just plug right in and do it right there. You know, right. Yeah. You hadn't even gotten like your, you know, jacket off. Right. So. I, I remember uh, I remember one of those records you were working on. I was I was upstairs. I I was home. I think maybe I'd been off the road for a day or two because I, I was sleeping in the middle of the day. So I, I must have just gotten back from tour. I remember my phone buzzed and, and it was you asking if I could come downstairs and put something on a track. And I went down and I played on a couple of songs. I went back upstairs and went back to sleep. You know, yeah. d- didn't didn't think you know that was one more calm, thought about yeah. it. And several years later, I was playing a gig in Fort Worth, and the singer of the band that uh, that was playing after us was like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" I was like, "Good. Do I do I know you?" <laughs> he said, "Yeah, man, you played on my record." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, did I?" And it turned out it was that it was that record. It was the one he did it here, and I was called downstairs in a pinch and didn't remember Any who it was for, anything about the song. So I felt that was common, a little, though, little yeah. bit like a jerk. But. Well, no, I mean, it was just so common. You know, I mean, when Kate and I got married, one of the things that would happen is she'd be in the kitchen and somebody would just walk in and say, Steve, here, you know, <laughs> and she'd be like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> it's not like that anymore. Right. But you those, can't just barge into the house. Yeah, it was really common, and so I was. It was a different time, but it was a lot of fun. Um, we were younger, and we could. It was the land of no consequences, you know. I mean, it definitely stuck with me. I've I've immortalized at least bits and pieces of it, and at least two songs, if not more. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of them. I know one of them is uh, on your solo record, and your solo record. Is kind of what led to this project, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we had started recording that solo record here, God, a long time ago. Yeah, and uh, 
and had a couple of songs in the can. And then I ended up deciding to record it with a full band in Houston uh, with my buddy Steve Christensen. But then a couple of years later, came back down here and we pulled those uh, those songs out and listened to them. And it kind of kind of reminded us that we had accidentally discovered that we sounded a little bit like Simon and Garfunkel when we did the folk thing together. And so just kind of on a whim, we're like, well, let's, let's do some more of that. It's fun. Yeah. And, yeah. and ended up making the Brothers of Mercy EP. You know, I was remember thinking like, what is, what's a way you can play music with the lowest overhead possible that still has the magic, <laughs> you know? And this, this did it, you know? Yeah. So that's the other song that Lockhart's in. It's a, yeah. That's Horatio's arm. Yeah. That, that's the song. There's one verse in there about Annie, that bartender who didn't like anybody. Yeah, she's yeah, in she, it. She makes she makes an appearance. She, yeah. I mean, she only made a brief appearance here in town, as far as I can tell, because that bar did not last long. You got four live music venues right here in town now. Is that? I believe so. So there's one? yeah, there's the Pearl Arts and Crafts mm-hmm. where we're going to be playing Commerce Hall, which is one, and Old Pal. So yeah, four, four venues with, and I think more are coming. That's that's great. It certainly was not like that fifteen years ago. So this project. The Brothers of Mercy works where, like, I'll have a song or Scotty will have a song, and we just kind of do an arrangement of it. So we've written some together a little bit, mm-hmm. but on this first record, um, this is one of your tunes that you've had, and this is the one that started it, right? Yeah, th- this is the one w- that I recorded at your place years ago. It started as a bit of a sad sack reminisce of... uh of the first winter that I lived here and there was, there was nothing, nothing to do. And I was just maybe a couple of years out of a divorce and single and touring a lot. And, uh, you know, just kind of talking about being lonely and wallowing in your own, uh, in your own filth a little bit. (laughs) Odd historical references, I guess. My dad's really into genealogy. And my maternal grandmother was a Nelson and come to find out that we're direct descendants of Admiral Horatio Nelson, who famously lost his arm. He lost his arm at the Battle of Trafalgar, and then he lost his life. And Trafalgar was a defeat for the British Navy. And so his loss of his arm for the rest of his life reminded him of what he considered his greatest failure, his, his defeat there. In his greatest military victory, he was actually killed. I, I was just thinking about that and how certain things that I was encountering in my life at that time were reminding me about things that I considered to be failures, but then had to insert a note of grace into it and in thinking that maybe those feelings of failure were exactly what I needed at that time to kind of push me over the hump and get me on to the next thing that I needed to be doing, which, uh, you know, in hindsight was, was true. Fireworks stands on the side of the road. 
early and a cold wind blow I'm sitting here with nothing to show There's a band by the door playing four on the floor And the same old crowd as it was the night before Someday I'll convince myself that I should ask for more Until then I guess I'm not too sure It reminds me of my failures like Horatio's arm Lost on the day he was defeated And I know that someday soon my greatest victory will come this could be exactly what I needed If I want a friend tonight, I don't have to look too far Cause I think Annie's watching me in the mirror behind the bar Never seen a smile and she's got eyes as black as tar If she slide me one more drink I might forget just where we are She reminds me of my failures like Horatio's arm Lost on the day he was defeated And I know that someday soon my greatest victory will come This could be exactly what I needed Poost is in the studio today, and um, we're talking about a play, right, that's come to the Baker Theater. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, we are opening December 2nd with Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley, which is a spinoff of the Jane Austen Pride and Prejudice story. Um, it's been 
this is my first debut directing um, event at Gaslight Baker, and I'm loving it. It's been super great. And from day one of auditions, I've been blessed with um, and surrounded by these super talented actors that you're about to hear from, and it's just been an amazing experience. Can you set up the scene for us? Sure. Um, so in the scene that you're going to hear, uh, we have the title role, Miss Bennett, Miss Mary Bennett this time, who is visiting Pemberley for Christmas. And a stranger enters the room and they have their very first conversation, which changes the entire scope of their lives. The play is Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley, and the author is Lauren Gunderson. We were just discussing, she is probably one of the most produced playwrights in the nation. And I didn't even realize some of the ones that she's done, but Silent Skies, this one, Miss Bennett. And then she also has a couple of other spinoffs from the Pride and Prejudice story. Um, she has one about the Wickhams and really enjoys the Jane Austen tale, and she writes it really well. She's found a way to really incorporate a lot of the original language, but use it in totally different ways so that anyone who's read or spent any time with Jane Austen will feel, I think, very comfortable and acquainted with the people in the show. I'm Gabe. I'm uh, an actor and a teacher from the South Austin area. This is my Second uh, play with the Gaslight Baker Theater, and my first one was at the beginning of the season, so I, I sort of bookended them this year. <laughs> and I'm Renee. I'm a Lockhart resident, and this is my second show at Gaslight Baker. I was in a monologue performance a couple months ago, so this is my first play play, which has been very fun. Uh, I am playing Miss Mary Bennett. And I'm uh, playing Arthur de Berg. Who is or potentially will be my love interest. You have to see the play to know. Uh, <laughs> and this is our first time meeting. Mr. Darcy? Hello! I'm looking for, well, anyone at this point. Excuse me, sir, but that is not your map. Oh, hello. No. However, I am acquainted with the man who I presume is its owner. I am, in fact, mid-search for Mr. Darcy at present. I've only just arrived. Would you be so kind as to orient me in his general direction? If you'd be so kind as to introduce yourself, Miss Mary Bennett. Hello, Arthur de Berg. I'm a cousin of Darcy's. Distant cousin, are you a relation? Sister to Mrs. Elizabeth Darcy. And I fear you have lost my continent. Your what? Last night I left off in Australia, but you seem to have set me in Brazil, and I am quite unprepared for the Amazon. Ah, well, watch out for the fish. They bite. Do they? Have you been to the Great River? Oh, no, much like you, I travel only in pages and in ink. Nonetheless, I shall heed your advice and guard my toes. Fixed. Well, do pardon me for disrupting your journey. Were you also reading Mr. Darcy's copy of Lamarck's philosophy? It is quite a stimulation. It is, and it is my copy, actually, which I did find stimulating and disorienting all at once. As did I. Exactly that combination. It was the talk of drives a greater complexity that most interested me. And the inheritance of traits. Fascinating. Yes, and the bit about giraffes. <laughs> the giraffes were quite a surprise, I thought. As did I. <laughs> Those giraffes. 
And where is Mr. Darcy then? Oh, I have no idea. Something about horses. He left earlier with Mr. Bingley. Charles Bingley? I haven't seen him in years. How kind Mr. Darcy is to open his house to friends. Especially one who married his wife's sister. Is that right? Indeed, we are one happy family. You are? Well, when did you marry? <laughs> no, sir, I did not marry Mr. Bingley. That would be my other sister, Jane. I am very much unattached. Oh, I'm so sorry. You did say Miss Bennet, not Mrs. Bingley. I have a terrible habit with names and not retaining them. Did I offend? No, no, Mr. de Berg, you simply amuse. That is the confusion, then. I am not used to doing that. I should warn you, we are a family that enjoys amusement, particularly at such times of year where joy is practically inescapable. My younger sister Lydia, for example, can be quite hysterical in her quest to remain amused at all times. She will arrive shortly and can be quite a beast when she presents herself in full force. Should she attack you, oh the best course of action, much like the bear encounters I've read of, is to remain calm, declare peace, and back slowly away. Thank you, Miss Bennet. I often find myself unprepared for the complexities of people. I appreciate the primer. <laughs> I should not misrepresent my sister. Lydia is thought by many to be delightful and deserves as much kindness and patience as anyone, I suppose. It's time for a 78644 special. Thursday, December 1st at Lockhart Arts and Crafts, Willigan's Island and Friends will present the Willigan's Island and Friends Fashion Show. A special interview right now with Nigel Wilhelm and Sarah Barr. We are having a small town fashion show at Arts and Crafts, which uh, Sarah is one of the uh, co-owners. And what we have done is me and Sarah have a little surprise to uh, to lay down on Lockhart in re of kind of in drivers of trying to get the beach, the beach world movement going on here. For at least three years since I've moved here, we've spent a lot of time on the beach doing that thing. So what we are doing is we have um, developed a beachwear company out of Willigan's Island, taking it in a new direction. And um, Sarah has done uh, all the artwork uh, for us and all the design for us. And we're going to tell a small town fashion show and mostly which seemed like a great chance to get all the fashion models that we have here in because sometimes you know you have you never know like sometimes you're you know your genus might be the model oh. and you know sometimes talents don't have any models but Lockhart is really lucky because every single member of the town here is a model as their second third or tenth job so we're just really lucky to live in Lockhart and be surrounded by models constantly, all of the time. A lot of times you see them maybe doing a certain job. Like, like I was saying earlier, like, you know, like, I know that our postman is a model. But yeah, he's still kind of modeling as he's in this other job. But on what he's doing was he might be a father as well, you know. But somewhere down the line, he's a model. That's right. I mean, we're all really just modeling all the time when you think about it. You could work at the grocery store, be yeah, modeling on the side. There's really a lot of models at ATV, and I've, I've seen a couple of them run around, around good things, actually. It's really a celebration of beachwear, which Lockhart is known for. I mean, especially being on the beach, being so close to the ocean. Well, just, I love that little spot over there by the Omar where, um, it does get crowded on the weekends, but 
Is that where you came across with a lot of your vision for when you were designing the beachwear? Absolutely. When I was hanging out at the Old Mall Beach years ago and, you know, people started coming in from out of town. They were saying, oh, wow, this must be like that secret beach that I heard of in Austin. And I said, no, this is totally different than that. You can see where the line kind of developed. And so that's what we're here to do um, on December 1st. December 1st, we had Magic Mirror, uh, is it Hot Hottest Field? And then uh, circa 1975, Chain Stitch, Golden Hour, and then Jessica Wimpy Originals. And then there might be a couple more ads out. So they're going to have models, and then uh, they're allowed, and then we're going to have like a Christmas uh, holiday market. We already kind of know it's Willigan's Island, I feel like. Yeah, I think that we're planning for at least 14,000 people to come, but we're not quite sure. It might be more, so we're just trying to do our best to prepare, you know. As you said, it's high fashion, but it's... And that's the whole t- that's the whole that's the whole town, correct? I, I saw the SP. It was in San Antonio and Salvo. So you it's the are we whole expecting town yeah. and probably more. Probably some local dogs as well. And cats, which we have. This concludes the 78644 special. We're pleased to announce that we have our very first sponsor, Texas Hatters, here in Lockhart, Texas. Texas Hatters has outfitted me with the finest hats since about 2008. Every tour I've done, I've always been wearing Texas Hatters, and we're very happy to have them on board here at 78644. We are also open for ad placements and sponsorships. If you want to uh, inquire about that, you can find out more at 78644podcast at gmail.com. Email us to find out more information. The Willigan's Island and Friends Fashion Show, 8 p.m., Thursday, December 1st at Lockhart Arts and Crafts. Don't miss it. The Halliana Trio Residency will be happening from 7 to 9 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will be having karaoke from 6 to 10 p.m. The El Rey Bar Nightclub will have line dancing, women only, 6 to 7 p.m. Friday, December 2nd at El Rey Bar and Nightclub, Texas Hatters presents the Tejas Brothers. Commerce Hall will have Todd Hannigan, for his CD release for his new record, Caldwell County. The Gaslight Baker Theater will be presenting Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley at 8 p.m. Old Pal will have Libby and the Loveless from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will have Nathan Colt Young from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have Joe Bob's Bar and Grill Band at 8 p.m. And Lodoff Fannies will have Tom Foolery and the Saluntics from 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, December 3rd, Old Pal will have Sidetracks from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Gaslight Baker Theater will be presenting Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley at 8 p.m. Sunday, December 4th, the Gaslight Baker Theater will be presenting the matinee for Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley at 2 p.m. The Pearl will have Jeremy Joyce from 3 to 5 p.m. Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have Block Printed Wrapping Paper Workshop at 5 p.m. And Lodoff Fannies will have the Blues Jam from 5 to 8. Wednesday, December 7th, The Pearl will have Stony Gable from 7 to 9. Lodoff Fannies will have special karaoke night, so bring the relatives. That's 5 to 8. Thursday, December 8th, Old Pal will have John Mulcher. And Lockhart Arts and Crafts will be presenting Brothers of Mercy at 8 p.m., doors at 7. Friday, December 9th, The Gaslight Baker Theater 
will be presenting Miss Bennett's Christmas at Trimberly at 8 p.m. Old Pal will have the Merles from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have two Bins and a Bear from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. The Pearl will have DeFoyo Music, R&B, 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. Arts and Crafts will have Drew Gamino's Birthday Party, and that's at 8 p.m. Saturday, December 10th at Old Pal, Dustin Welch will be playing his residency from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Gaslight Theater will be presenting Miss Bennett's Christmas at Primerly at 8 p.m. And Lodoff Fannies will have jams with Jenny from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Sunday, December 11th, Roll Fast Ranchware will be hosting its Roll Fast Roundup listening experience with artist Colt Wayne Keeney. Gaslight Baker Theater will be presenting Miss Bennett's Christmas at Pemberley at 2 p.m. for a matinee. The Pearl will be having its Sunday matinee with W.C. Clark from 3 to 5 p.m. Lodoff Fannies will have the Slyfoot family from 2 to 5 p.m. And Lockhart Arts and Crafts will have the Lockhart Irish session starting at 4.30 p.m. That's it for 78644 News. Todd Hannigan is a Grammy Award-winning sound designer and composer for documentary films. His long-standing relationship with the Malloy brothers, Patagonia, Yeti, Ribbon, Danner, and Subaru, has given Hannigan an instantly recognizable signature sound, and it's earned him a place in the zeitgeist of the self-made composers to watch. He's also a fantastic songwriter, and um, he's here with us today. Todd, I want to start with, um, with your journey of of coming to Texas. Yeah, so uh, I guess a couple of years ago, right before you guys' big ice storm, um, uh, a guy I work with all the time and a good friend, Scott Ballou, was on the phone with me and I, I was complaining about the prices in Ojai and that we were kind of getting priced out of ever being able to buy a house there. And I was kind of down pretty somber. And he convinced me, he said, man, come out and take a look. There's a couple places you might still be able to afford if you hurry. <laughs> and so I booked a flight, I think a few days later and, um, off the plane drove, uh, he gave me a, picked me up and gave me a ride to Lockhart. And we looked at a couple, uh, a couple of places with Daniel Hill and, um, put a deposit right there on Foxglove, uh, and bought a, a, ho- a brand new house over there. I was already working from home that I could work from anywhere. And um, I figured being closer to Scott would be better because I do a lot of work with him at Yeti. And uh, we wanted, we really, really, really just wanted a mortgage. And uh, we really wanted a place to call our our own and a place to really put our heart and soul into and make nice um, instead of like keep fixing up rentals and then having to move out. So you are a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And, and you're also a, a soundtrack composer, mm-hmm. but songwriting was first, probably right. Yeah, they. It was kind of a weird journey because um, really, what I was was a sound engineer practicing on a microphone to see if I could get good at sound engineering. And during that process, um, I wrote a couple songs because I needed something to play on the mic, and finally started singing a little bit. And um, somebody by accident heard one of my little cassettes and asked who it was. And I told him it was me. And uh, that's how the first song got placed in a movie. So it very quickly was about movies and score, even though it was, it was my very first song I'd ever written, got in, got in the film. And then they needed some help on a couple other scenes. So literally like 
a month later, I was scoring my first two scenes after writing my first song. Uh, and, um, and then I didn't really write a lot of songs after that. It was, it was a lot of score at first, actually. This was, yeah, just like two microphones that I got off my cousin who teaches sound engineering at NYU. Him and my parents are great buddies, and I think they helped him out when he was going to school. And then when it was time for me to figure out what I was going to do, he said I could come out there and study under him. He ended up lending me a couple mics, and I bought a Pro Tools system, and that, that was it. It was just out of, the, out of my parents' house, out of their office. It went from the, my parents' house to my house in Ventura, in the living room, and then to a small office in Oxnard when I started recording with like Jack Johnson and those people. We did all those soundtracks and, and first demos out of like um, just a, a, a half of an office space in, a, in Oxnard. I'm interested in, in, um, in your process of writing. You, you kind of came in the back door as a writer and you were, I like the idea that you're telling me you were trying to find placement on a microphone, right? Just trying to figure out how to get a sound and it kind of came from there. Is that correct? Yeah, was, well, originally it was like, how do I get um, these these acoustic guitars and vocals to sound like some of my favorite records? Uh, I think I had <clears throat> one guitar amp, a Fender Strat, and then uh, that Gibson Hummingbird. And I just had two guitars and two mics. So I just was just messing around trying to find sounds. And then during that, I think you just start humming along to something and then a word pops in your head. And then maybe you got half a verse or half a chorus already and then uh, spent some time journaling and like uh, a lot of times I would just record and record and record freestyle and then go back and try to piece together what seemed like two or three minutes that made sense uh, lyrically. But a lot of times I would just kind of try to find the words while I was playing rather than writing them on paper. I would just start singing because I had, you know, I had the Pro Tools running and I was a good editor. I was better on the computer than I was at songwriting. So I would go back and splice them, splice the the verses together that sort of made sense after like a 25 minute take. Oh, I understand. No, yeah. there's a there's a cool thing that happens when you just kind of open your mouth, you know, and you sing and, and melody comes out and the words kind of jumble out. It's weird. It's kind of like being a radio or something. I don't know if that's it's weird, right? You're 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 not writing it. It's happening. It's happening. It's that's a happening. good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And like thicker than water, which was the first full song I finished or second song after Blue Sky. Blue Sky got in the film I was telling you about. And then Thicker Than Water was just one of those things where I, I really liked this chord change and I had a melody over it and I sang these words that don't really make t sense together, but it ended up being the song that that uh, went all went all around on this uh, compilation soundtrack and kind of got a career in music for me was just this one tune that I happened to blurt out some words that I never wrote down. And I only sang it once like that. When you're composing your work, are you working with microphones and instruments kind of thing? Are you on the are you on the desk, are you on the machine doing uh, something? Mostly mics, mostly mics and mostly um, to picture. So watching the picture, listening to the story, almost all of it's documentaries. So it's not, uh, you're reacting to the story. Sometimes it's to the B-roll, but a lot of times it's to what people are saying and what, what they went through or what they made it through. So you're reacting with chords that seem to support that narrative, usually on guitar, um, baritone guitar, because it can kind of get up high 
and you then you can kind of just play some volume swell like low notes if you need to be out of the way. Um, so I usually would do that as a first layer and then go to something like a, a, a piano or a humming or a vocal thing and then decide on overdubs um, from there, whether you, like a lot of times hiring a cellist or a violinist or something like that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, opposed to MIDI at all. I think it's a great tool, especially for someone like me that's not a great piano player or keyboardist. Um, I love being able to draw stuff I can't play um, and arrange for stuff. Um, but a lot of it's collaboration. It's like getting um, chord progressions that make sense and then letting really good artists listen to that and react to it. Let's talk a little bit about the album. So you, you've just finished an album, right? Yeah, this is the first album I've made in uh, four or five years. It's the f definitely the first body of work f since moving to Texas. And um, uh, yeah, it feels good to put out an album and it feels good to, uh, you know, because I, I write so many tunes a year, I don't know, 50 or 100 tunes a year for compositions, maybe more, I don't know. But uh, I don't put out a lot of songs that are, that are personal and that are my lyrics about my story or about something I care about. So it feels good to... I, I kind of forgot that that was important to me uh, because I was just like so thrilled that people were hiring me to score their stuff that I was like, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm making a living as a composer. So I kind of put that on the back burner, uh, but I'm really, really happy that we circled back to it to uh, make a batch of songs. And Scott was really instrumental in making me do that. Um, I was kind of stuck where I didn't really want to do that. Um, and, uh, him and Jesse Woods really kind of almost, yeah, kind of just went, look, man, it's, it's time. Let's, let's, let's get a batch of songs together and do it. And they, they even helped me finish them. Well, let's talk about the, you want to do the title track from that tune, from that Yeah. Record, so right? the title track from Caldwell County, um, and it's kind of, uh, I'm not, I'm, I think I'll figure out what it's about down the road. But it, it's it's all the emotions and things I was going through, convincing convincing your wife and small child to move to another state and give up those hundreds of connections and and personal friendships to start something new. The fight you want and a you get I can't be sure who you're fighting with and it's a shame that it's gone this way all the wasted times in those California days A second win For my first time if I ever had a reason to cry for what's mine 
It's a summer blood moon and a Caldwell County rain Write the truth even if it hurts Build a bonfire from comfort to find out what you were Begun, but a home is just a smiling face. It took a lifetime to find the place where a man can hold his head and take his life back in his hands and show my little girls the way. Todd Hannigan is playing live Friday, December 2nd at Commerce Hall. You can find out more information about Todd Hannigan at his website, toddhannigan.com. T-O-D-D-H-A-N-N-I-G-A-N.com. 78644 is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound here in Lockhart, Texas. Original music by Brothers of Mercy, myself, Stephen Collins, Hallianna Finley, Todd Hannigan, the old friend's theme was written by Paul Simon. Performed by myself, Stephen Collins. The in-studio performances by Hollyanna Finley and Todd Hannigan. Thanks again to our sponsor, Texas Hatters. If you have anything that you would like to tell us about art or music, please don't hesitate to get in touch at 78644podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>